excited to have with us evangelist and author of sharing the gospel with a jehovah's witness tony brown thanks for being with us tony uh, thanks for inviting me david it's good to be with you oh thank you tony you're uniquely positioned to speak confidently about the christian faith as well as what Jehovah Witnesses and believe, having been a Jehovah Witness before becoming a born again Christian. Talk us through that transition. Well, I, I wasn't brought up in a Christian family, um, so I, I had no Christian upbringing to, to sort of think about or draw upon. I never really thought about church, about God or anything growing up. It wasn't until I was 21, uh, so just, just a couple of years ago, uh, that I, uh, I ended up sort of having to think about life and death and god because my my mother died suddenly and um i i, I began to have all these questions i'd never considered before you know wh where do we go when we die is there a god is there a heaven is there a hell will i see her again and so for me it began a, a search and um i began to read all kinds of things um i read books about the afterlife uh, all kinds of weird and wonderful things uh, I even had a little Gideon Bible uh, from when I was at school. Uh, I began to try and read that, but it didn't make a lot of sense. And so that, that carried on for, for a good few months. I, I was really on a search. And um, one day my sister got in touch with me and said, I, I need you to come to my house uh, this Saturday morning. I've got a couple of people coming around, especially for you. And uh, they'll be able to answer some of your questions, hopefully. So I, I went along. And uh, there I met a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses. I had no idea about Jehovah's Witnesses, really. No idea what they really believed or anything. But I just threw all my questions at, at this lovely couple um, who very kindly and patiently answered all my questions, showed me from the Bible and answers to my questions. And I was immediately hooked. I'd, I'd been looking for something. I was going to join something. It happened to be the JWs that got me. And... Um, and so I began a Bible study with them and uh, yeah, very quickly through having a Bible study with them, which is, it's not really a Bible study. It's, it's more like a, a watchtower book study, but you think you're learning the Bible. So, I mean, I've, I've actually got the book here that I, that I studied back in the day. It's called You Can Live Forever on a Paradise Earth. Uh, yeah. The modern equivalent of that um, is, is probably this book. What does the Bible really teach? Although they're doing it like an online course now with people. Um, through this book, you, you just go through um, what you think is the Bible, but actually you're learning Watchtower Doctrine. And so all their literature is the same. You've got a paragraph. Um, I would read the paragraph. There's questions at the bottom they would ask me. The answer that they're after is always in the paragraph that you've just read. And so you're just reading, uh, repeating what, what they believe and, and giving them the answer that they're after. And so you very quickly become indoctrinated. So it didn't take long for me to start thinking I can't celebrate my birthday anymore. I can't celebrate Christmas. Um, I need to go to the Kingdom Hall. Uh, I bought a suit, a briefcase, started knocking toes. I, I, I was fully into it. And um, and I thought I got the truth. You know, for, for pretty much three and a half years, I was pretty solid with it. Until um, I met a guy uh, through a new job who was a Christian and uh, it was the first time I'd worked closely with a Christian. I'd met them on the doors and stuff, but I didn't really know any Christians. And uh, he couldn't answer most of my questions, bless him. I used to sort of really bamboozle him with questions about the Trinity and stuff, which was, which is always the specialist subject for Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but he was just really lovely. I remember saying to the people at the Kingdom Hall, this guy, David, is really lovely, really nice guy. He just believes a lot of rubbish uh, when you bring him to us. Um, but I didn't realize that he had all his uh, church praying for me. His family were praying for me behind the scenes. And he just did little things like he gave me a lift home on an evening, talked to me, asked me questions about what I believed, he invited me to his church. But I was never going to go to his church as a Jehovah's Witness. He invited me to have a meal with his family, which I went along to. Uh, just just nice things um, that made me sort of warm to him. And I wish I could remember what it was, David, because it is a while ago now. But I remember going into work one Monday morning and saying to David, this is what we learned yesterday at the Kingdom Hall. And David commented on it. And what he said made sense to me more than what they'd actually taught. He, he had a, a, a commented on what we'd been learning. And I, it was the first little chink of light. And often it begins like that, I think, with people in cultic movements. There's a little chink of light. There's a little sort of little doubt that comes in. And that got bigger and bigger to the point where 
I ended up agreeing to go to a Christian meeting with him, not in a church. I still wouldn't go to the church, but it was at Bradford University where I, I heard the, the gospel and was challenged by it. Um, afterwards, very confused. Someone prayed with me, but I, I was still unsure. Came away praying myself. Um, I got dropped off near home so I could walk home and just pray. It was a beautiful sort of clear night, stars in the sky. I was calling on Jehovah. I was like, Jehovah, please show me. Show me what's true. Uh, struggled to sleep that night. But when I did sleep and, and woke up the next morning, I was just a completely changed person. I, I just felt an incredible peace, like a weight had been lifted from me. I, I couldn't explain it. Um, all I know is that, you know, I'd spent the night before crying out to God. And um, I called David. He said, I think perhaps you've been born again. You need to read John 3, which I did. He said, why don't you come to church? I went to church the next day in fear and trepidation, but met the most wonderful people who all seemed to know my name. I didn't know any of them. Um, and that was my way out, really. And, uh, you know, God was good then. I didn't see the JWs for a little while after that, but was strong enough to tell them I'd become a Christian when I did. Yeah. Wow. Jehovah's Witnesses call themselves Christians, and this can be confusing should a Christian get in a conversation with one, Tony. What are some of the shared beliefs and what are the core differences that separate us? Yeah, well, there are certain things that uh, we, we have in common, and, and it's good to sort of mention those, I think, in witnessing to, to the Jehovah's Witnesses, because I think you try and build some foundation, some commonality to begin with. So, you know, they, they believe in the Bible to be the word of God, which obviously uh, we do. Um, they're monotheistic, uh, just one God. Uh, so we would agree with them in that. They're incredibly zealous to share their beliefs, which we should be. Um, so there are things we can agree upon. Uh, we, you know, we have shared words that we will use, but we need to be aware um, as we share uh, common words that they probably mean something different by those words uh, than we do. So, you know, they'll say, for example, Jesus is the son of God. And we'll say, yeah, amen, he is. But they mean something different by that than what we would mean. Um, but things that are, are, are different um, really are things like, well, the God that they worship is a different God. Ultimately, when you look at what they believe about God and who they claim him to be, is a different God, very much a different Jesus. Um, the Jesus of the Watchtower is not the Jesus of the Bible, of Orthodox, historic Christianity. And they have a different gospel, a gospel that can't save, um, a gospel that sort of actually leads them away from Christ rather than towards him and what he's done for us. So, again, I say they'll, they'll use a lot of same words. They'll talk about God, talk about Jesus, they'll say gospel, salvation, grace. Holy Spirit, heaven, they'll, they'll use all these words, but you need to unpack that with them. Uh, if they say, this is what I believe, what do you what do you mean by that? Yeah. And let them explain. And then you very quickly realize that there's some major differences between us. And, and even though they claim to be Christians, they call themselves Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. Uh, when you unpack what they believe, they are not Christians uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Thank you, Tony. It's, it's the most loving thing to do, isn't it, to be really clear. And it's black and white. You just said there, didn't you, that they have a gospel that doesn't save. We see in the world today this ecumenical interfaith push where, you know, there are Christian denominations, so-called Christian denominations, um, you know, inviting all sorts of different faiths into their churches and having these shared prayer days. Just, just Let's just be black and white here, um, Tony, because it's very countercultural. We're, we're saying that the gospel that Jehovah's Witnesses believe cannot save right they do not believe exclusively in jesus christ for salvation absolutely and and that's why i think it's important um to let people know that because i think you are you're you're right david we're in a confused world and christians are confused and most christians are confused because they don't really know what the gospel is yeah. and and if you don't know what the gospel is then you're open to other people and just say well they're very sincere aren't they they're very sincere and i know we disagree on on a few things but they love Jesus as well, uh, but it's only when you unpack it. Doctrine's really, really important. We're not saved by doctrine, but it's important to know what we believe because the gospel of Jehovah's Witnesses can't save them. Hence, you know, I, I spend my time trying to reach these guys. Um, you know, there are some some groups where, you know, um, I think I might be a little bit more open that potentially um, there could be Christians within that, that group or that or that movement. But, but the, the, the organization or the group they belong to is, is not sound. 
Um, but I think with Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, I'm quite adamant that, that they're not saved. None of them can be saved if they follow the teachings of the Watchtower Society. So they need, yeah. they really need the gospel. Yeah, thank you. That is helpful. Tell us about the history of how Jehovah's Witnesses come to be. Yeah, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses um, have been around since the 19th century, around about the 1870s, where there was a, a guy called Charles Tears Russell. Now, Russell was brought up in a Congregationalist household, um, a church-going household. But it said that when he was in his, his teens, he began to question certain doctrines, particularly the doctrine of hell. Didn't like that one. Ended up denying the, uh, the uh, deity of Christ, the Trinity. And he began to have a Bible study um, in which he invited other people along too. And uh, they, they became known as the International Bible Students. And these Bible students began to believe that Charles Russell spoke for God. And, um, and so they, they, they sort of listened to what he was saying and, and, and a, a movement began through him. He ended up um, selling a business that he had um, to start the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, um, which back then was called the Zion's Watchtower Tract Society. And so it became like um, a business in which they could publish things. And, uh, and then Russell and successive Watchtower leaders after, after him all became seen as uh, God's mouthpiece. Um, what the watchtower is called the faithful and discreet slave. And, and in, so individuals right up until the 1980s, 90s, they, they were seen as this is the faithful and discreet slave. This is the appointed one that God's appointed to speak to us. We must follow them and, and, and uh, do what they say. So that's what Russell began, really. There are things that Jehovah's Witnesses believe today that uh, Russell didn't, uh, sorry, don't believe today that Russell didn't have a problem with. So Russell had no problem celebrating Christmas, for example. Um, in fact, he promoted things like that. So you can see it's evolved and it's, and it's changed. But in its beginnings, this international Bible study group began to sort of gain some momentum. They began to claim that they were the only ones that were speaking the truth. Um, when he passed away um, in 1916, there was a little bit of a period of infighting within the, the organization as to who would take over. A guy called Judge Rutherford came through and became the next president of the Watchtower Society. And then in, it was in 1931 that he changed the name from the International Bible Students to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So that, that's how it began, really. And often these groups do begin like that, with a person believing that they understand the Bible better than anyone else, that God's speaking through them, that the church has lost its way. Um, it's become apostate in some way. They're, they've been brought to by God to restore truth to the church. That's how it all began, really, for, for this, these guys. They don't talk a lot about Charles Tears Russell much now. They don't, they don't disown him. They, they acknowledge that he he began the movement. Um, but I think, you know, they, they've moved away, quite away from a lot of the things he believed and taught. Yeah. It's become a whole other other beast now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses put a lot of importance on the name Jehovah. Talk through the history of God's name, Tony, and why this can be a helpful talking point with a witness. Yeah, they do put an awful lot of uh, importance on the name Jehovah. Um, they can fall out with you about the name Jehovah. I've had Jehovah's Witnesses fall out with me over the name. Um, you know, they've, they're, they're, they've been told that the name Jehovah is God's name, that it's been removed from the Bible and it should be used. And in fact, in some of their literature, they even point to the fact that you can't be saved uh, in the way they understand saved um, if you're not using the name Jehovah. So it's really, really important to them. But first of all, we, all we need to know is that in the Old Testament, in our Bibles, where the word Lord appears in capital letters, that's where um, what's called the tetragram is. In Hebrew, it's just four letters, and it's Y-H-W-H, from whence we, we, we get the name Yahweh. There's no vowels um, in, in the Hebrew, and so um, they don't know how to pronounce it, and it, it, it was seen as too holy to pronounce. But what the Jehovah's Witnesses have said is that the name is known, can be known and should be restored. So it's restored all over their Bible, for example. They've added it in where it says, Lord, they've put the name Jehovah in there. But the origin of the name Jehovah itself as a word can be traced back to the Middle Ages. 
and Jewish scribes began to insert vowels into the the the, the tetragram, the four letters. And what they did is they put they took the letters from the word Adonai, Adonai, which means Lord, put them into YHWH, and they came up with Yahweh. And then that gets Latinized, and the and the Y and the W become J and a V, and so you get Jehovah. And so that's how it came about, really. Now, most people, most scholars would say that we cannot know the name of God. We, we're not even sure Yahweh is right, even though most commentators say that is the nearest we could perhaps get. But these guys are so adamant that it's uh, Jehovah. And they even say in their own literature that it was first used by a Spanish Catholic monk in the 13th century, which is interesting because they, they're all against Catholicism and anything to do with, with that kind of stuff. But a guy called uh, Raimundus Martini apparently first used that name uh, back in 1270 AD. And so it, they've added it in. Now, I, I've not got a problem with them using the name Jehovah. I often see it as a little bit of a red herring and don't want to get into a big debate with them. I don't know, you, you might sing, like we've sung in the past, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, and stuff like that. I personally don't think Jehovah is God's name. We can be definitive and say that is his name. But if these guys want to use it, they can use it. Uh, the problem we have, of course, is the fact that they're adamants and they've added it everywhere into their Bible, including the New Testament, where it's not found at all in, in the Greek. Um, so I, I tend to sort of like say, yeah, yeah I know you use Jehovah and, and I'm OK with that if you want to use that. But really, the name we need to be thinking about is the name Jesus and try and point them to Jesus. You know, so, for example, in Acts 4.12, it says Jesus is the name uh, which saves us. Um, Acts 1.8 says we're to be Jesus witnesses, not Jehovah's witnesses. Uh, Philippians 2.9-11, that Jesus is the name above every name. Yeah. And it's interesting in their translation, I know we're not onto their translation yet, but in, in Philippians 2 there, they've added the word other in there. So it's Jesus is the name above every other name, yeah. because it can't be above every name, because that would make it above Jehovah. So that's where an example of where they've added to scripture. So, yeah, Jehovah, um, we, we don't really know. Uh, Yahweh is the nearest, I think, um, but we're not 100% sure. But these guys are just adamant that it's the name of God. But I think for us as believers in engaging them, we can almost push that to the side a little bit and don't really need to get into too much of a debate with them about that, but actually point them to the name that saves uh, the Lord Jesus himself. We're talking about being saved quite a bit already, and we've mentioned mm. the gospel as well. So what is the gospel according to the, the Bible? And break down what Jehovah Witnesses believe the gospel is, Tony. Yeah, I think it's a great question to ask a Jehovah's Witness, David. I think if you say to Jehovah's Witnesses, what's the gospel? You know, what is the good news? And you'll find that they give you something that's not the gospel um, at all, really, from, from, as we understand it. So the gospel for us, I mean, Paul sets it out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 to 4, where he says this. He says, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. And here's the key bits, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, if you ask a Jehovah's Witness, what's the gospel? They will never say any of those things. Yeah. They never mention any of those things. So I think the question to the Jehovah's Witness, what's the gospel? And they'll let them share. And I'll tell you in a moment what they'll say. Um, after they've done that, it says is that what the Bible says the gospel is. And then you can take them to verses like 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul lays out what the gospel is. And we know very well uh, John 3:16, but the context there as well sets out for us what the gospel is as well in a nutshell. So from John 3, 14 to 18, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So they need to hear that, whoever believes in him um, and then for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the Son of God. And you want to emphasize when you're reading this to Jehovah's Witnesses or they're reading it, what it's saying is pointing them to Jesus constantly. That's the good. Jesus is the good news. And what is the gospel according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15? Well, that this one, this Jesus, he died uh, for our sins and he rose again from the dead. And they never come out with those things. I like a little acronym. You may have seen this. Um, it's not unique to me uh, that someone develops uh, using the word gospel. And it, it says, so Jesus stands for God, created us to be with him. O is for our sins separates from God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And L is for life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. But if you ask the Jehovah's Witness what the gospel is, they talk about the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. So what did it, what did, what has that got to do with eternal life? Well, according to the Watchtower Society, the way to etern- eternal life is to obey the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom for them has four requirements. First and foremost, you've got to take in knowledge of the Father and Jesus Christ. And where do you find that knowledge? Who's the ones that have that knowledge? Well, that's Jehovah's Witnesses, of course. You've got to obey God's laws. So you've got to, you've got to earn your salvation. You've got to be associated with God's channel, as they call it, his organization. And then you've got to loyally advertise uh, his kingdom to others. And so basically, that's, that's what they've been told is the gospel. It's about being a Jehovah's Witness, being loyal to the organization, keeping the rules and, and, and then sort of uh, evangelizing um, with Watchtower theology. So as you can see, it's, it's completely different um, gospel to the biblical gospel as we would understand it. Yeah, yeah. So who is Jesus Christ according to the witnesses then, Tony? Well, I mean, it's certainly not the Jesus Christ we understand. I'll just quickly just tell you an interesting sort of uh, episode I had um, a month or two back. We were doing some open air work came across an elderly couple of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I began to talk to them about Jesus. And one of the things you find sometimes when you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses um, and people in other cultic groups as well is you can end up explaining to them what they actually believe. And that sounds crazy, but, but that's sometimes how it works because I think they're told things and they don't put the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together. And so they can hold all these contradictory unsatisfactory answers unbiblical stuff because they don't join it together and then someone like me comes along and joins it together and they have to think so i was talking to them about jesus so this is the jesus of the watchtower society first of all the jesus of the watchtower society didn't exist um so he's not eternal he's not eternally the son of god at one time jehovah existed alone and the first thing jehovah did was create jesus And Jehovah created Jesus as an angel. In fact, he was the archangel Michael. So Jesus, first of all, didn't exist. Then he was created to be the archangel Michael. Then somehow the archangel Michael becomes the human Jesus in Mary's womb. They they don't teach that there's an angel. Mary had an angel in her womb. But somehow the archangel Michael vanishes from the scene and the human Jesus is implanted in Mary's womb. This uh, Jesus then, he he grows. He only becomes uh, the Christ at his baptism. So he's just an ordinary man for, say, 30 years or so. He only becomes the Christ at his baptism, even though Luke's gospel tells us that born this day um, in Bethlehem is Christ the Lord. In David's city is Christ the Lord. Um, so And then... Um, when he dies, not on a cross, because they don't believe in a cross, but an upright pole, they call a torture stake. When he dies, because he's only human like the rest of us, he then is non-existent for three days and three nights. He exists nowhere because they believe that we are the soul. We don't have a separate soul or separate spirit. We, we are what we are. When we die, we're gone. We're dead. Therefore, Jehovah has to remember us. And then he recreates us. Because there's nothing to resurrect. Nothing exists anywhere. So he remembers. and he So you become a replicant almost. 
So they use the word resurrection, but it's recreation. So, so Jesus dies, non-existent for three days, three nights. Then Jehovah recreates him. And then he recreates him as a spirit, not a physical resurrection, a spiritual resurrection, to become the Archangel Michael again. And now the Archangel Michael is reigning in heaven and has been since 1914. Yeah. Now, when you put all that stuff together to Jehovah's Witness, because they understand bits of those things, but they never put it together. You can rightly say, is this the Jesus that you follow? Mm-hmm. Is, this, is this the Jesus of the Watchtower? Is this the Jesus of the Bible? And of course, it's a million miles away from the Jesus of the Bible. And so that's the Jesus of the Watchtower Society. A Jesus was well, a non-existent Jesus, really, who cannot save anyone. So when you put that all together, what do, what do they believe that Jesus actually achieved on the cross? Well, what they actually believe is um, all Jesus achieved for them, that because they believe he was just like a perfect human, he just rectified what Adam got wrong. So the first Adam messed up. The second Adam got it right. And so all he did was um, pay, pay for Adam's sin, the price for Adam's sin, but not for my sin, not for your sin, not for their sin. And so what that means is that they believe that Jesus basically opened up the way for us to be good boys and good girls, that we might be accepted of Jehovah. He's opened up the way for us to do what Adam didn't do and for us to sort of live a perfect life. Now, they know we're not perfect and they know we'll sin and you can be forgiven of sin. But actually, they, they just believe that Jesus made it possible. His sacrifice made it possible for those who exercise faith. They always use the word exercise faith because you've got to do stuff. But those who exercise faith in Jesus may receive eternal life if, if they behave themselves and follow all the rules. An interesting verse to share with the Jehovah's Witness at this point is a, a verse like 1 Peter 2.24, which speaking of Jesus, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. So he himself bore our sins on the tree. He didn't just bear Adam's sin. He wasn't just dealing with Adam's sin. He was dealing with my sin. And so therefore, you know, Jesus has paid the price for my sin and when they don't understand that bless them they think no i just sorted out adam's mess and now we've got to be obedient to the organization so he's just pressing the reset button yeah he just exactly press the reset button and again you know they'll they'll maybe make a big thing if you mention the word cross um because they say oh no he didn't done a cross and they go through all this stuff but again that's a red herring push it to the side let's get to what we need to speak to them about But so bless them. They're trying to save themselves. Ultimately, Jesus just give them an opportunity to save themselves. Yeah. So what do they then believe about eternity, Tony? Yeah, well, this is an interesting thing with Jehovah's Witnesses, because they believe that um, Armageddon, uh, the the final war of God against um, all the evil in the world, against Satan and and sin um, is coming soon. They've been teaching that since they, they began. But it's always, always coming soon. And whenever anything's happening in the world, like COVID, um, like Russia attacking Ukraine, they jump straight on that kind of stuff. I said, hey, see, it's so near. We need to be busy in Jehovah's work. Um, but what they actually believe is when Armageddon does come, the only ones that are going to survive Armageddon is um, those who have been faithful to Jehovah. They're not guaranteed themselves that they'll be saved. They never know whether they've done enough. But then after that, um, that ushers in the the thousand year reign of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ. But they've got a thousand, those who've survived, have got a thousand years to clean up the earth because the earth's going to be a mess. I mean, in their pictures, it shows fireballs coming down from heaven, hitting our churches. The first place is the fireballs hit, of course, is our churches and, and dead bodies everywhere and a complete mess. And they've got the job of cleaning up the earth. Now, let me just share something else in this as well. Because other people are going to be on paradise earth, which they don't talk to you about. What they believe is if you die before Armageddon, you are given a second chance on paradise earth. So basically, you don't have to be a Jehovah's Witness to get to paradise earth. You just have to make sure you die before Armageddon hits. And if you do, you'll get a second chance. And this is what they told me about my mum, you see, David, because they said, look, your mum has died before Armageddon. 
So she will get resurrected back onto paradise earth and be given a second chance. But you, Tony, you're only 21 and Armageddon's coming really soon. And the only way you can survive, if you don't die before Armageddon, the only way you can survive is to be a faithful Jehovah's Witness. So you strive and you, you sort of do everything they tell you because you want to survive Armageddon to meet your loved one again. So, so if, if we die before Armageddon, according to Watchtower Theology, we'll get a second chance on Paradise Earth to clean up that mess as well. For a thousand years, then, you're cleaning up the mess. You still have to be obedient to Jehovah during that thousand years. If you're not, if you step out of line at any point during the millennial reign of Christ, he will annihilate you. You're gone forever. That's you gone. If you get to the end of a thousand years and you've been faithful, then and only then can you be given eternal life. And then God has restored everything right back to how it meant to be in the beginning. You've got a restored planet. You're back to the re- your reset button, like you said, David, which is a great sort of way of putting it. Reset button and the process starts all over again. Um, and and that's that's the eternity for them. But, but of course, I'm so assuming... offensive to the cross, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I think as well, the, I mean, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think the idea of free will still would exist then. So any one of those people who get that far yeah. and go could mess up Adam again. Yeah. And so, but I think what they'd probably say is at that point, um, again, you'd just be taken out straight away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what they believe. On the Mount, Tony. When you yeah. consider the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're going to last 10 minutes, aren't we? In that fast yeah, minutes. absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and this yeah. is and this is the, the problem they have. And this is why I'm adamant that they're not Christians and they're not saved because they're trying to, they're, they're undoing what, what Jesus did on the cross or denying what Jesus did on the cross and just sort of claiming they can make themselves righteous and get it right themselves through this yeah. organisation. You mentioned that the Watchtower have been fascinated with setting dates for the end of the world. Tell us a bit about that, Tony. Yeah, well, right from the beginning, there were. Um, Charles Tears Russell met a guy who was uh, a second Adventist. So the second Adventists were the, the sort of forerunners to the seventh-day Adventists, really, in the 19th century. And the second Adventists, as the name suggests, were looking forward to the second Advent, Christ returning. And they themselves set dates at various times and got it wrong. But Russell got involved with these guys and very quickly adopted those ideas for himself. So he began to set dates. Um, he'd come up with all kinds of weird and wonderful sort of chronology, uh, using the Bible, using things outside the Bible, uh, measuring pyramids in Egypt, uh, and adding sort of the measurements to, to things in the Bible and coming up with dates. Uh, so he was doing all kinds of weird things. I mean, his first claim was that Jesus would return in 1874. Uh, when that didn't happen, he shifted it to 1878. When that didn't happen, he shifted it again. Um, and the, the big date became 1914, which is still a very prominent date for the Jehovah's Witnesses. But Russell taught that Jesus would return visibly in 1914. When he didn't return... Russell and the international Bible students claimed that he did actually return, but it was invisible. Um, so, and, and he would say things like, only those with eyes of understanding would, would realize that. So it's not every eye shall see, literally, it's eyes of understanding. And so they believed, and they still believe, that Jesus returned in 1914. And they'll come out with crazy things like, it was obvious that Jesus returned in 1914, because what happened in 1914? The First World War. And why did the First World War happen? Because Satan and, he, and, and, and his legions of, of demons weren't happy that Jesus was taking his throne in 1914. So they caused havoc on the earth. So they, they just come up with all kinds of spurious stuff. But then actually, uh, they've set dates after that then for, for Armageddon. Um, just a couple of key dates, but the, there are others in there as well. And this is all documented in their writings. Um, 1941. They, they brought out a book called Children, which they were giving to the children. And they were claiming there's only months left before Armageddon comes. 1975 is the biggie because they'd worked out, again, chronologically, using the Bible in, in amazing ways, that 1975 would be exactly 6,000 years uh, from the creation of Adam. 
And they reckon that October 1975 would be exactly 6,000 years. And then you've got the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, the seventh day to go into. So they, there was a lot of stuff in the 60s, again, all documented in their literature um, that the end would come in 1975. If you ask them today, they'll say, well, you know, people just took it too far. You know, we just said it's a possibility, but you read their literature, it was no possibility. Um, it's, it's reckoned that around about a quarter of a million Jehovah's Witnesses in the United States alone left the organization after that failed prophecy. There are people who, who were selling up their houses, um, packing in their jobs, uh, selling their businesses and everything, uh, you know, just to, to the witnessing increased massively in, in that year leading up to that. And then after that failed prophecy, it drops massively because you see the failed prophecy. But they would say, well, we never claimed to be uh, prophets, uh, but they clearly did. I've got a little article just on my screen here. Let me just read a little bit of it to you. It's from an article back in 1972. So just three years before the, the, the uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, Armageddon was supposed to come. And the article's called, They Shall Know That a Prophet Was Amongst Them. And this is what it says. It says, so does Jehovah have a prophet to help them, to warn them of the dangers and to declare things to come. These questions can be answered in the affirmative. Who is this prophet? This prophet was not one man, but was a body of men and women. It was a small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known at that time as international Bible students. Today, they're known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. So well, that, that's a great article to pull out on them. I, I, I've given copies of this to them because they'll read their own literature. What's it saying? It says they've, they've claimed to be a prophet right from the time of Russell when they were international Bible students. And they've got things wrong constantly. And, you know, and today these prophets, these prophets are called Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. And so you point to their article and say, look, you guys have always claimed to be a prophet of God and you get it wrong. And what does the Bible say about prophets that get it wrong? And this is where their Bible comes in really, really handy. Because this is how it reads in the New World Translation in Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. It says, if any prophet presumptuously speaks a word in my name that I did not command him to speak or speak in the names of other gods, that prophet must die. However, you may say in your heart, how will we know that Jehovah, they put the name Jehovah in there, has not spoken the word. When the prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah and the word is not fulfilled or does not come true, then Jehovah did not speak that word. The prophet spoke it presumptuously. You should not fear him. So the point being there is who is the only people on the face of the earth today who speak in the name of Jehovah? Yeah. So it's like that. those verses are directly speaking to them. Yeah. They're the ones speaking in the name of Jehovah. And if you get it wrong, then we're not to listen to you. And worse than that, you can take into verses say that prophet should die. So, um, yeah, false prophets are a big thing. And, and I think a fruitful way of, of discussing certain things with, with Jehovah's Witnesses who are open to that, to get them yeah. to think. Yeah. You mentioned their Bible. They they had this, their own translation, don't they, called the New World Translation. What is its history and how reliable is it compared to the original languages? Yeah, well, I've got a copy of the New World Translation here. I mean, uh, this came out in 2013, this particular copy. And it's a, it's a very smart looking Bible. I mean, they were, they were so excited when this came out. Um, but in terms of its history, um, throughout most of its history, the Jehovah's Witnesses were happy. Well, probably half of its history now. Uh, they were happy to just use any Bible and, and particularly King James Version they would use. Um, I remember when I sort of met with them in the first instance, I had a little King James Bible and they, they said, that's fine. You know, you can use that. But of course, they very quickly want you to use theirs because it's more convenient. and It makes more sense that you're reading the same version. Um, but it was right about the 1940s, I think, that the, the, the then president, a guy called Nathan Holman Knoll, decided it would be good for them to have their own version. And so he developed a group called the Watchtower Translation Committee, or the New, New World Translation Committee, rather. And um, so I think it was in 1950 that they ended up producing their own New Testament, which they called the, uh, the Christian Greek Scriptures. And so they they'd produced their own. Throughout the 1960s, then, they began to work on the Old Testament and they brought it out in increments until finally in 1961, they had a full version, um, which they called the New World, Trans New World Translation. 
1984, they updated that. And when I say updated, it means they just changed a few extra places. And in 2013, with this baby, they changed a few more places. Um, it's, it's very much a sectarian version. They, um, they've, they've changed it and doctored it in places to deny the deity of Christ, particularly in the places. So it supports their theology. Um, who translated it? Um, they don't know. Another great question to ask Jehovah's Witnesses, who translated your Bible? How do I know I can trust it? And they'll, they, they've been given the answer. Well, the people who translated it wish to remain anonymous, so no glory goes to them. And I'm like, well, look, if I'd have translated it, I wouldn't want my name attached to it either. But what I mean, in reality, they, they don't know and they're not told because the people whose, whose names are given as the ones who translated it were not in any way qualified to do so. They had very, those guys right in the beginning there, they had very little um, language ability, very little um, Greek, practically no Hebrew. So what it's believed has happened is that they've just translated it, um, just changed it as they saw fit and added and taken away as, as they wanted to. So it's, it's a really bad translation. Um, it's not the most accurate as they claim. And what they've done is they've added things in there, like I mentioned, like the, the name Jehovah all through the New Testament with, with no reason to do so. Removing the deity of Christ, removing the worship of Jesus, adding words, removing words. So it's a very, very suspect translation. Um, but having said that, there are places that have not changed. Um, there are places you can, you can take them to to discuss um, the gospel and show who Jesus is. Because they, they can't change it completely and radically, because that be that people are just spotted clearly. Then yeah. they've been a bit more sneaky, but yeah, that's the new world translation. You've touched on the Watchtower Society. So, who are these guys, and, and what role do they actually play for Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, well, I think we, I think we make a distinction between the Watchtower Society and what they call the governing body. Um, the Watchtower Society really is just um, a non-profit corporation. Um, so, so Charles Tears Russell, uh, he called it Zion's Watchtower uh, Track Society back in the day. That's just a legal entity um, which helps them to uh, re receive charitable status and publish all their documentation. Um, so that's the Watchtower Society. Um, and, but the Watchtower Society and those guys who head up that, the legal side of things, they work under and alongside a group of guys called the Governing Body. And it's the governing body, um, eight men currently who lead the Jehovah's Witnesses. They also call this group the faithful and discreet slave. So I've done that sometimes. And I'll say, well, you know, you follow the Watchtower Society. And they can get a little bit confused by that because they realize it's not the Watchtower Society. It's the governing body we follow. So the Watchtower Society itself, just the legal entity, the governing body is, is the real authority um, whom they follow. And they govern everything in these guys' lives. Um, you know, they, if they say jump, the Jehovah's Witnesses say how high um, because they believe they're God's mouthpiece on the earth today. And so, yeah, control every aspect of the life of a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. So when they bring out a Watchtower magazine, um, do they still do Awake magazines as well? Yeah. That sort of thing. yeah. 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 When they bring those magazines out, um, do they hold these at the same um, level, uh, inerrancy and infallibility as the Bible? Do they, is it on the same well, level? Well, they, they would say not. But in reality, yes, because they've got to believe that that the Watchtower and the, the Awake magazines, which has become less and less published now because everything's gone online. So they've got an amazing website. All their literature is online. But everything has to be passed through the hands of the governing body. And if the governing body um, speak for God, then they've got to trust what they read in the Watchtower and Awake magazines. They will claim that the governing body are not infallible. And that's where they go when you, you talk about the prophecies and failed prophecies. But the reality is, if these guys are not infallible, how do we know anything they're saying is right? How, how, why should we trust anything? And, and things can change, surely. So you're trusting these guys who can change their minds, can get things wrong. Um, and again, I think it's, it's important to point that out to them. So this Watchtower magazine you're reading, you're claiming it's not infallible. Therefore, it could be wrong. Um, but ultimately they believe they're infallible yeah they believe they speak for god yeah 
it can be intimidating speaking with a Jehovah's Witness as they often give the impression that they're well taught in their doctrine. Are they? And how do they teach what they believe? Well, they're highly trained salespeople. I remember when I was with them, we used to have on a Thursday evening, we used to have like, um, it was called a Kingdom School, where you were trained things. Um, a lot of the men were trained to speak from the platform in their meetings. A lot of the women, not exclusively the women, but a lot of the women were, were trained on door-to-door situations. And they are tr- really well trained and know what they know really, really well. I think I've got a book here. Um, just the one? Oh, no, that's not the one. Uh, they, they had a book. I think they still got the book. It's more probably online. It's called Reasoning from the Scriptures. And they used to go through that book and rehearse that book. And in there is what they would say is any, every conceivable question that a householder might ask you, including Christians, and how you respond to that and how you answer. So they trained in that really, really well. So what my answer is, is this, David, they know what they know really, really well. But there are lots of things they don't know. And so that's that's good for us because it means then you can ask them things that they've not been trained for. And that's what we need to do because people in cults are programmed a certain way. And, and particularly Jehovah's Witnesses are programmed to answer questions. They love you asking them questions because they believe they've got all the answers. And the usual stuff that we ask them as Christians, they have answers for. And they bamboozle you. And they're, they're sharing scriptures with you. And you're scared because you think, oh, my goodness, these guys really know their stuff. But they only know what they know really well. So, you know, people like me and, and Reach Out Trust, who I represent, you know, we, we have things where we say to people, look, here's some questions that they're not ready for. Here's some verses in scripture they've probably never even seen in their life. And you take them to those places and then their cult mind has to think and, and reason again because they've lost the ability to reason. When you're in a cult, you lose the ability to reason and think for yourself. But if you ask them something they don't have a ready answer for, you can see the cogs turning, and that's a wonderful thing because then they're having to think for themselves. And so don't be intimidated by them. I think you just need to know where to go with them. And, um, yeah, they know what they know really well, but lots of things they don't know. And, uh, again, as I as we, as we conclude today, as I give my email, and I, anybody wants to get in touch with me, I can send some questions. You can ask Jehovah's Witnesses that will make them think. But, um, yeah, they just know what they know really, really well. Really helpful. Thank you, Tony. Um, I know you've got a passion for evangelism and Jehovah Witnesses are well known for their evangelistic efforts. Were you surprised by the lack of evangelistic zeal within Christianity and what can we learn from them and what can we do better? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting coming out of a group like Jehovah's Witnesses into the church. There were two things I noticed, David, um, one one a (laughs) a bit more superficial, but one serious. Um, when I came out of the Jehovah's Witnesses and went into church, one of the things that used to happen in the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it happens in these groups, it happens very much in the Mormons as well, is that if you're a, if you're a single guy um, in these groups, the, the sort of guy that the girls look for is a really zealous, faithful Jehovah's Witness or really zealous, faithful Mormon. That's the ones they go for. I noticed when I got into the church, that's not what the girls went for. They didn't go for the really zealous ones. So that was just a little silly aside thing. But the other thing I noticed as well is that, yeah, there's just no enthusiasm for evangelism and sharing the gospel. And it was like, and, and the, the way we see it, and it's sort of right as this, is that when you're a Jehovah's Witness, yes, it's part of your salvation package. You have to knock on doors. You have to go and stand in the streets with your carts. Um. But also um, they have a desire to share because they believe that they have a message to share. And, and so many Jehovah's Witnesses, although they know it's part of the salvation package, genuinely do it out of a concern for people. And I think in the Christian, and they all have to do that. In the Christian church, it's almost like evangelism and sharing the gospel is optional. Or it's just for those people who have a gift in evangelism. Yeah. And so it's, it's seen as something you can do, but I'm doing something else. And I think, and that's somewhat right, you know, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses, we're not all clones, we're all gifted differently, we've all got different gifts to bring to the body. But I think we've all got something to share in terms of, of the gospel with people. And so, yeah, I, I think it, I was a little bit shocked 
that there wasn't the same evangelistic zeal in the church as with the Jehovah's Witnesses. One of the things that people often say to me is, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are so zealous, aren't they? You know, you've got to admire their zeal. Well, yeah, you do, but they're doing it to be saved. But they're also doing it because they honestly believe their message. And if we honestly believe our message, then we too need to be to be sharing it. Yes. And I think the reality is, you know, um, we, we've surrendered um, the streets to the cults. You know, um, when people are sort of struggling with life and troubles, you know, lonely, who is it that's knocking on their doors? You know, well, before COVID anyway, it was the Jehovah's Witnesses. It was the Mormons. It will be the JWs again. I have some Christian friends who do door knocking. So there are Christians that do it. I've done a bit of it myself and do open air work. Um, but Christians need to get back to it. Yeah, because yeah, these guys are getting ground where where we we just sit back and let them. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. That's helpful. As Christians, we can say with certainty that if we were to die tonight, we know that we will be saved because of our faith in the finished work of Christ and not of our own. What does assurance look like for a Jehovah's Witness, Tony? Well, I don't think really, honestly, there's there's such a thing as real assurance for Jehovah's Witnesses. You, you might find Jehovah's Witnesses who feel like they're in a good place and doing well. And if Armageddon was to come, there's a good chance they'll survive. But they never, ever know. Because the Jehovah of, of the Watchtower Society is a little bit like the Allah of Islam. You know, that he's a, he's a distant God who determines everything. And, uh, you know, he, he could you could be the most faithful Jehovah's Witness in the world. Uh, but he could still reject you because it's his call at the end of the day. So there's no such thing as real assurance. Uh, so because they never know whether they've done enough. So I, I remember having days where, you know, if I'd been out on the doors, had some conversations with people, then you, you feel a bit a little bit better. You know that if Armageddon was to come, maybe I'm OK. But, you know, if I had a, a day where I decided I don't feel like going out today and, and the mighty Spurs are playing and I want to stay in and watch them instead and the Armageddon comes, I'd feel I was lost. And that's that's what it's like for Jehovah's Witness. There's no assurance for them, really. So they're always challenged when you talk about, I am assured that if I die tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. You know, I think it's 1 John 5, 12 and 13. These things are written that you may know you have eternal life. You know, so showing them verses like that, it's not, I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being overconfident. I'm just resting in Jesus because it's not about me. It's about what Jesus has done. And Jesus keeps me safe. Um, but for those guys, they don't have that, sadly. Yeah. You mentioned at the top of the interview about celebrating Christmas and birthdays. What, what is the actual reason why Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate these things? Yeah, again, I, these are very much red herrings, David. So I, I, I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to share. Um, but I think, again, when Jehovah's Witnesses go on about these things, we, we need to try and push them to the side a little bit. Because what they'll do is, and I've had this lots of times, you may have had this yourself if you spoke with Jehovah's Witnesses, you'll be able to be talking to them about Jesus and, and the way of salvation, the important things. And then they'll suddenly just throw in, yeah, but I bet you celebrate your birthday, don't you? Or something. What's that going to do with what we're talking about? But, I mean, they've been told that that um, birthday celebrations have pagan roots um, to, to begin with, so we don't do anything pagan. They'll say things like um, the, the early Christians, celebrate birthdays um, so we shouldn't celebrate birthdays um, they'll say you know the only things we're told to celebrate um, in, in the bible is, is Jesus' death not his birth um, even though we have some kind of celebration of the birth of Jesus in our sense at his birth and then I, this is the one I always remember being told um, it, it, this, this is something like you know the, the only people that celebrated their birthdays in the bible were bad people and you're like, what? What does that mean? So they'll take you to Genesis 40 and, and where Pharaoh is celebrating his birthday and the chief baker gets hung. So there's a birthday celebration. Something bad happened. And then they'll take you to like Mark 6, where they'll talk about um, Herod celebrating his birthday. And John the Baptist was beheaded. And so he was selling his birth, birthday and something bad happened. And I always remember that was the thing that stuck in my head. Oh, yeah, bad things happen at birthdays. 
But of course, there was nothing wrong with the birthday celebration. It was the people that were bad. It was Pharaoh and Herod were the, were the problem, not the birthday celebrations. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, they just told not to celebrate birthdays for those reasons. Yeah. Not, not in the Bible. Early Christians didn't do it. Pagan in its roots and bad things happen at your birthdays. Um, in terms of Christmas, again, they're very clear that that's a pagan celebration. So we, we shouldn't celebrate um, um, uh, Christmas whatsoever. Uh, obviously, they sometimes say as well, you know, Jesus wasn't born on December the 25th. And you will say, well, we know that, you know, that's not a problem. Um, but they, they say that's another reason why not to celebrate. Um, but, yeah, they, they're big on Christmas being pagan. And they'll point out the sort of pagan roots of, of Christmas. Now, I often say to Jehovah's Witnesses about Christmas that I have some Christian friends who don't celebrate Christmas as well. And I have some that do. And I think, you know, we're at liberty, really, I think, in, in this area. And again, pointing out to them what Christmas means to a Christian, that, you know, it's not about all the, the pagan stuff. It's actually about the birth of Jesus. And, and that's who we're worshipping and remembering and celebrating. Um and what they'll do, they'll get around this a little bit, Jehovah's Witnesses. As I, as I said, they, they, they used to celebrate. Um, but I've got a great picture of them at the Watchtower headquarters, which is called Bethel, back in 1927, 28, I think, where they're all celebrating Christmas with, with party hats on. And in that picture are like, I think there's three or four um, Watchtower presidents. The one at the time and the three to come were all there celebrating Christmas. So it's strange. They received new lights and they couldn't celebrate anymore. But, um, you know, I think the, the pagan thing is interesting. I think there are problems with Christmas and paganism and, and, it's, and it's past and we would agree with that. But that's not what we're celebrating. Yeah. And I think as well, uh, the way I've challenged Jehovah's Witness a little bit when they're going about pagan stuff, pagan stuff, pagan stuff, is that you can't escape some of this stuff. So, you know, um, you ask them what, what day of the week it is. And if they give you the name of the day of the week, well, that comes from a pagan beginning, you know, uh, Thursday is Thor's day, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, if you're wearing a wedding ring, apparently wedding rings have a, a, a history within paganism. So why are you wearing that wedding ring? But I, I think that, you know, there really are red herrings and they want to talk more about Christmas and paganism and birthdays. And it deflects them away from Jesus yeah. talking about Jesus. So I think for us, yeah, we can have a little chat with them if you want to go down that road with them. But often I try and deflect that and say, look, yeah, okay, I know you've got a problem with, with Christmas birthdays. Happy to talk to you about that in the future if you want, but let's stick to let's stick to Jesus. Yeah. Tony, um, as we draw to a close, I know you spend a lot of uh, uh, time um, engaging Jehovah Witnesses. What are some of the most common objections uh, that they have um, to what the Bible teaches and how do you typically answer those? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're adamant of the Jehovah's Witnesses that the Bible is the word of God. So that's that's a good place. They, they and, and they believe we should go to the Bible for our answers. They'll say we only believe what the Bible teaches. That's a common thing to hear them saying. The problem is the way they interpret that and the way we interpret that. That's the problems we have. So we would look at certain verses um, very differently to how they will look at verses. And usually the reason we see things differently to them is because Hopefully we read contextually the verses. We don't just pull a verse out here and there, because when you do that, that's when you end up with spurious doctrine. So that's where they have their problems, really. Um, but I think, you know, for, for us is to ask Jehovah's Witnesses questions um, is, is really, really helpful because, they, they, as I've already said, they're programmed to answer questions. So um, you can go into scripture with them and look at certain Bible verses and challenge them on that. Again, particularly verses where they're, they're not used to or they don't really see. And I'll just give you a quick example of that. An obvious verse that they just seem amazed at looking at when you show them it is in John uh, chapter 20 and verse 28, where Jesus appears to Thomas. Obviously, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. Hence, he's doubting Thomas. He doesn't believe it. But then when Jesus does appear to Thomas and shows him his hands and his side and says, put your finger here and stuff. What is Thomas's reaction? Well, Thomas's reaction is to look at Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. Now, in their Bible, in their New World Translation, um, it, it has God with a capital G. That's a big thing in the mind of a Jehovah's Witness. We must think, well, that's what it says. But big G in their mind is Jehovah. So it's almost like 
Thomas is saying, my Lord and my Jehovah in their minds. But they've been told all kinds of stupid stuff like, well, no, Thomas was saying, my Lord to Jesus, then looking up to heaven and saying, my God, and all kinds of nonsense like that. But, but show them those verses because they, they rarely look at those verses. So there's a number of verses you can take them to yeah. to, to challenge them because they don't really go there very much. Um, but, but, you know, questions to ask Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, if you found the watchtower contradicted the Bible, which would you believe? I think it's a challenging question for them um, because ultimately, you know, it shows what their authority is. Uh, yeah. They will follow the watchtower rather than what the Bible teaches. What must I do to be saved is a great question to ask them. Have I got time to just tell you a very quick routine? Yeah, um, yeah. I think this, this is not original to me, this. I think I, I first maybe saw it from Ray Comfort um, using this with, with lots of different groups, but it works really well with Jehovah's Witnesses. I set up a scenario where you see the Jehovah's Witnesses out on the street um, at their cart. It can be on the doorstep, but let's use the cart for, for today. Um I go over to them and say, look, can I ask you a question? It's a hypothetical question. You smile at them, make it a bit jokey. They'll, they'll probably say yes. They'll be a bit suspicious. You just say, look, it's really hypothetical, but I just want to know what, what you think. Is that okay? They're programmed to answer questions. If you say, can I ask you a question, they'll go with it. You say, I've just come out of the shop over there, Marks and Spencers or whatever, and uh, I've got a knife in my back and I'm about to die. I realize I've got three minutes to live. So here's my hypothetical question. Because you guys are stood here, you know, you're with your Bibles and, and what does the Bible really teach? I, I don't know what to believe and I'm scared. I'm about to die. So here's my question. I've only got three minutes left. What must I do to be saved? Off you go. And you you set that time limit on them. And, it, and it's incredibly helpful to do that because they cannot answer that question, David, because everything within them thinks you've not got enough time. You know, I've had Jehovah's Witnesses say to me, well, good luck. And I'm like, you're just going to let me die then on the street. What do you mean, good luck? And they say, well, ultimately, it's up to Jehovah. Yeah, but what can I do? What do I need to do? And they, they just do not have an answer. They, they, they don't want to reveal to you that it's okay because it's before Armageddon, so you'll get a second chance anyway. Because if they do reveal that to you, you can say, so are you teaching the people today in my city so long as they die before Armageddon, they're okay. They're going to get in. Is that what you're teaching? They don't want to say that. They don't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I had one or two that's thought about the thief next to Jesus on the torture stake, of course. And what did he do? Well, if they go there, that's great. Because all he did is turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, yeah. remember when you come into your kingdom. Yeah. Jesus said, today you'll be in paradise. He had nothing to do. He, he didn't have time to buy a suit and a briefcase and go to the kingdom hall. Nothing does. He didn't have time. But honestly... Countdown, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 10 seconds. I always say if you're really good at acting, you can fall to your knees on the street uh, before them at this point. You know, three, two, one, they let you down the street. They're giving you no answer. And then you challenge them with what's the biblical answer to my question? They will not know. They do not know where to go. You get them to Acts 16, the Philippian jailer. Get them to read a bit of context from verse 25. Get them to read it in front of you. When they get to verse 30, the Philippian jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You stop them at that point and said, that was my question to you. What's Paul's answer? Paul and Silas's answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Why did you not tell me that? Why didn't you tell me I had to believe in the Lord Jesus? Now they'll go on about, well, there's more to it than that. So, no, that was Paul's answer. That was his answer. Why didn't you say that to me? And, and what you're doing, David, is they're not going to fall on their knees and accept Christ when you've gone through that routine with them, although they could, the Holy Spirit could do whatever he chooses, but you're going to put a stone in their shoe. And ultimately with these questions and places we, uh, we take them in scripture, you want to put a stone in their shoe. And so, and then, and then pray the Holy Spirit will wear them up. Yeah. Brilliant. So nice. it's always a pleasure catching up with you and, and speaking with you. Thank you so much. Before you go, do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah. I want to encourage people really. Um, to just share the gospel with lost people. You know, we, we mentioned evangelism early, earlier. Um, the world around us uh, is going to hell, and, and it's full of lost people. We're thinking about a particular people group today, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they are lost. Um, they're trying to save themselves in an organization, and uh, ultimately they're, they're, they're bound for hell unless they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage people to do it and not to worry about it. 
you know, just you always end up, and I, I've been doing this for years now, David, but I always think I've done a bad job and I wish I'd have said this rather than that. But it's not our job to convert anybody. We can't do that. So, you know, share your testimony with them. Uh, share how God has answered prayer, uh, the assurance that you have. If that's all you can do on your doorstep, do that with them. And then if you feel a bit more confident, yeah, share scripture with them and meet them somewhere for a further discussion. But but share the gospel with them because they're, they're lost people. So that's that's my hope for people listening to this. Yeah. And you brought a book out talking about the subject as well. Yeah. Strangely, bizarrely, I have a copy right here, as if by a miracle. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's just a little book I was asked to do by 10 of those called Sharing the Gospel with a Jehovah's Witness. Um, it's very simple, uh, like me. Um, it's very, uh, very, very small, doesn't take long to read, just gives lots of pointers and tips. Some of the things I've, I've been sharing today and, and expanding on that, on how you can share the gospel with the Jehovah's Witness. So um, you, you can pick those up through 10 of those.com. And um, yeah, if you want to get hold of one of those, uh, please do. Brilliant. Well, wherever you're listening to this, I'll make sure that there's a link to that book in the description below. Tony, how can people keep in touch with what you're doing and how can people support you? Yeah, well, there's two ways, really. So um, I, I'm part of an organization called Reach Out Trust. So uh, the website is uh, www.reachouttrust, two T's in the middle, reachouttrust.org. So I'm, I'm on there um, putting articles on every week and contact me through through there. Or I, my personal email address is tony.brown at a of e. So that's a o f e, a of e dot org dot uk. And um, yeah, just get in touch with me. I can resource you, chat with you, want to help you. If you're particularly interested in this particular ministry, please do get in touch with me. That'll encourage me. And um, yeah, we can go forward. But yeah, just keep us in prayer. We, we want to reach these guys. We know it's a, it's a bit of a niche ministry, um, the cults. Um, but uh, yeah, if you, if you can keep us in prayer and, and ask God to use us and see people delivered out of darkness into light, that'd be fantastic. Brilliant, Tony. Well, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. 